0: Good morning. Good morning. My name is Sean Sears. I'm the lead pastor here at Grace Church. And how many of you guys walked outside this morning and thought, holy cow, it is butt cold. Anybody else think it was butt cold today? Good night. This is this, is, this cold weather. I know we're only in January, but I told my wife, I'm already done with summer, excuse me, I'm done with winter. I'm ready for summer already. Uh, We're in the second week of our series called The uh, the One and Only, and we're talking about uh, the the God. We're talking about the God. We're talking about God in the way that he's revealed himself to us. Uh, We started this series last week talking about the triune nature of God. We said that God isn't complicated as much as he is complex, Uh, like if if people are here, dogs would be like here, and it's not that we're dogs, we're creating the image of God, but that would be like where we are and where God is, and if you could explain everything about God, or if I could answer every question you had about God in a four-week series, that would be a pretty small God. So God wanting to reveal Himself to us is going to use simple language to talk about very complex things. Some of those things are outside our pay grade, and we're not going to be able to wrap our heads around it. Like the idea that God is 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 with Himself and is Himself, which is a really weird thing for us to wrap our head around, but but he's the us God. We said there's there's one God, uh, that's what we learned last week, there's one God and he's way more complex uh, than, than mankind. He created everything and because he created everything, it's all his. And because everything belongs to God, he deserves to be worshipped. And that's what we talked about last week. Uh, and then the, the big idea was this, that the more accurate your knowledge of someone, the more healthy and meaningful and intimate your relationship is going to be with them. So the more accurate Accurate you know, excuse me, the more accurate your information about God, the better possible. possible, Sorry, I had way too much communion wine before I came out here. Let me put it this way. When I met Billie Jane, I instantly, I don't want to say I instantly loved her. That's not true. I instantly wanted to make out with her. That's what I wanted, if I'm going to be honest. I was a sophomore in college. She walked in the cafeteria. Uh, she was a freshman. And I was like, dear God in heaven, let me just kiss that woman before I die. Woo! That's all I wanted. Like, that's, that was it. And that's so shallow, right? Like, this uh, This is funny. On our third date, I, I, uh, I hadn't kissed her yet on our third date. And so I said, hey, can I kiss you? And she, she said, uh, only if it doesn't mean anything. <laughs> so I kissed her. <laughs> my first kiss with my wife didn't mean jack. But dang it, all them other ones did. All right. Anyway, my point is, is that, that poor chick, she had no idea what pile of crap she was stepping in that day, right? Uh, She's been cleaning that off her shoes for the last 29 years. Um, well, not that I'm poop either. I don't mean that. My point is, is I didn't know her. You know what I mean? Like, there were things about her. Like, I was like, wow, she's really pretty, right? And I knew that she, she ended up graduating Magna Cum Laude of the college, so she's, she's really smart. But that didn't mean just knowing that Billy Jane's smart, knowing that she's pretty, knowing that she's sweet. Like, and then, then I found out that she's a godly girl, too. That Oh, she started dating this goober named um, Flex. That wasn't his real name. He was on the basketball team, and every time he'd make a basket, he'd run back to get back on defense. And then, uh, but like every time, like, like when he's running like this, every time he would face the home crowd, he'd go like this, like this, <laughs> try to show off his muscles. That's how he would run, like this. So everybody called him Flex, and he thought it was because he was jacked, but it was because he was a moron. That's why we did that. <laughs> she dated him for three months, and then, uh, yeah, so, yeah, anyway, why did I get into all of that? My point is this. The more... Information I got about Billie Jane, the more accurate my understanding of who she was. Now, some of you guys were dating somebody that you thought was going to be an amazing person, but then the more accurate your information became about them, the more you realized this is a mistake, right? And you bailed on that relationship because you got to know who they actually were. So, the more accurate your understanding of somebody is, the more able you are. To have an appropriate relationship with that person. Maybe sometimes the appropriate thing for the other person or for you is, is to not be in a relationship anymore. But my point is, like in my relationship with Billy Jane, like the more, like after 29 years of marriage, we dated for two years. So after being together for 31 years, I, I know more about this girl than any other person on the planet, which is the reason why my relationship with her is more meaningful than any other relationship I have on the planet. Does that make sense? And so the, I, I think for some of us we have an idea of who God is. But if your information about God is inaccurate. It's going to negatively impact your ability to have a meaningful or healthy relationship with God. Does that make sense? That's the value of the, t- the teaching. And many of us do have a complicated relationship with God. So I believe that this series is actually going to make a difference in your uh, Sunday to Saturday spirituality, your relationship with God once you leave once you leave church every single weekend. Um, and the first thing I want you to know is, and this is the big idea for the whole teaching today, and that's this, that God wants you to know. God wants to be known by you. That's what you need to know. And, and I don't know, the idea of God wanting to be known by me is a little bit intimidating because some of us don't want that kind of heat, right? It's like I like the idea of God being in my life, but I don't want God all up in my life, right? Like that's like if He's gonna like there's parts of my life I'd, I'd rather we be friends, <laughs> right? Like I'm I'm fine with God like when I when I got cancer I'm fine with God when I lose my job I'm fine with God when I'm praying with my kids when I put them down at night like I'm fine with all of that. But there's parts of my life that I'd rather Him like like stay out of because I'm sure He would want those things different than the way I'm comfortable with them, and it's like with, like we're, we're, we get nervous with the idea of God and us being in some type of really personal connection It makes us a little bit nervous, but it comes from Scripture, and that's Psalm chapter 46, so if you've got your Bible, why don't you go to Psalm 46, uh, hopefully you have an, uh, a hard copy uh, somewhere, but if you didn't bring it today, you probably have your cell phone, uh, go ahead and pull it out anybody download that chess app? Anybody download chess app? I, I Okay, I'm the only one that downloaded the chess app. Uh, my oldest son did. I spent eight hours in the last seven days playing chess. That's more chess than I've played my whole life, I think. I should not have downloaded that app, um, that chess app. But anyway, if you've you got a cell phone, uh, then you probably you, you may have the Bible app. If you don't, go ahead and download it. It's free. By the way, it's the number one most downloaded app in the world. Uh, but Psalm chapter 46, verse 10 says this. Uh, be still, and some of you guys have been in church for a long time, you might know the way that this, this ends. Be still, and what? Know that I, that I am God. That word, uh, sti- I'm not surprising you when I tell you that the Bible wasn't originally written in English. That's not a surprise to anybody. Uh, but uh, that whether you're religious or not, the Old Testament was written in, in Hebrew. Actually, three different languages, Hebrew, Aramaic, and Greek, mainly Hebrew and Greek. Uh, but this part was written in, in Hebrew. And the Hebrew word for be still is rafa, is how you say it. Uh, and, it and the word rafa means detached. It means that you pulled back from. It means that you've gone into retreat, that you've pulled away, and I think the number one thing uh, that, that, that may be a distraction to me, uh, getting close and personal with God, uh, is, is my cell phone, if I'm going to be completely honest, because whenever I'm still, what's the first thing I do? That's what I do. That's what I do. So I checked on this last night when I went to bed. Uh, my phone, if you swipe right, it'll bring up stats, uh, scroll down to the bottom, it'll bring up stats. I picked up my phone 53 times yesterday. 53, okay, don't, I mean, like, you guys are like, wow, that's a lot. Okay, check yours. <laughs> like, we pick up our phone, and, like, the, the number one thing I did was check a text. Like, it, it says, what's the first thing you opened once you, it tells you, my, my phone will do those kind of details. You pick it up 53 times. The number one thing I, I, I did was, uh, was, was text. number two thing I did was Instagram. And number three thing I did was TikTok. And number four thing I did, uh, number number four thing was chess. <laughs> so <laughs> like that, that that's what I do. Like anytime I'm still, the first thing I do is I, I open up my phone. I don't and 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 if you want to know God, you're just gonna have to make time for him. That's all this verse means. You've got to be still to actually know God for who he like. If you really want to know God more. You're going to have to create downtime in your life that you don't fill up with anything else. And the number one competition for God with your time might be your cell phone. So maybe there ought to be some rules on that for yourself. But if you never make time for God, you're never going to know God. But the same is true for every relationship in your life. Am I right? If every time my wife wanted to talk to me, I did this. (laughs) Uh, She's going to start talking to me through an attorney at some point right like this this she she what billy jane wants is just my attention and i don't think she's a jerk for expecting that what i want from my kids is their attention and i don't think i'm a horrible dad for that like what i want is i want a meaningful relationship with the people that i care most about and for that to happen they have to give me their attention and i have to give them mine two years ago ryan said oh man this is a throat punch Every time I talk to you, you're on your cell phone. Isn't that horrible? Your preacher's a horrible father. You just need to know that. No, it was, that was a Holy Spirit come to Jesus morning. That was God taking me to the woodshed through my son. That's what God did. And it was like, poof, he's right. I was like, no, not really. Poof. Yes, he is. You shut up. Listen to him. Right? That was God in my heart. Like, it, and it was, and it was, it was true. And all Ryan was saying is, I can't have a meaningful relationship with you, with my dad, if you won't give me 100% of your attention. And that's all this scripture is saying. If you want to know God, you have to create moments where you be still, where you pull away, where you actually make time to know God. And here's what's crazy. And know that I am God, the Hebrew word there for God is Elohim, which is the plural word for the Jewish word for God. Not the singular word. Isn't that crazy? Be still and know that I am, like we said last week, that I am the us God. I am the us God. Now that, I showed a little video that I thought would help and I I think think it did help. I got some feedback that said it it was helpful. Uh, But my go-to metaphor for the us God, the idea that there is one God who is three But one, I mean, Christians have invented a word for this. We call it the Trinity. But the idea that there is one God who exists in three parts is something that's consistent uh, from the Hebrew uh, first book of the Bible. The first chapter of the Bible, actually, all the way to the end of the Bible. There's just not one word to describe the complexity of that idea that there's one God who is somehow three parts, but with and is at the same time. And that's that part about God that's a little bit above my pay grade. There's a lady in our church named Teresa Reardon who works for uh, Town Hall in Norton. And uh, there is uh, uh, an an Afghanistan or Pakistan. I get them mixed up often. Um, uh, Town that was wanting to learn uh, how to do civil civil government better. And so somehow uh, between their country and our country they established some type of a Friendship, so that the leaders of this town came over actually and studied Norton. I guess it was like the same type of demographics or whatever, the same size or whatever. But they want, they they picked Norton. Uh, so yeah, Norton, Norwood, Norton, which is the one that's uh, on the other side of ninety-five. Uh, what's what, What's what? Just on the other side, uh, right above Walpole. That's Norwood. Norwood. It was Norwood. Sorry, I've been saying Norton this whole time. Is that right? Okay, it's no, you guys are like, I don't know, I'm not even listening to your story anymore. you're just rambling. <laughs> they came to look at Norwood. And uh, Teresa is one of our greeters here at Grace Church. She's, a, she's one of the coach in, in our leadership pipeline. And, and if you've ever met, if you've ever met her, she's invited you to be on her ministry team because like this chick is a stinking recruiter all day. Like she should have been in the military. We'd have the largest military in the world. If she was, she could recruit anybody to do anything, she's a ninja. So she's got all these Muslim people uh, in in her building, and and then she and she says our church is having a trunk or tonight. This is when we were in the old building on Page Street, and she goes, "Would you guys want to go?" And they're like, "Well, what is it?" And I don't know what she said to answer that question, but she got all of these people from Pakistan over to Grace Church that night for our outreach event. So we invited. We're up in the office and we're talking, just kind of like a meet and greet type of thing, and it was going really well. And on our way out, uh, the lady who's in was in charge uh, said, or the lady who was most outspoken. Uh, Assume she was in charge. Of, I don't know. She's just the most bold. She said, "You know, you Christians, you don't make any sense." And I was like, "Do tell." And she said, uh, "You say that there is one God, and you say that there are three gods. Show me anywhere in nature where that's where that's scientific. Like that that's, that that goes against science and math. It doesn't make any sense. And God is rational. Why would God? Why would God do that?" And 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 then what I used was a metaphor that that I believe was helpful, and she didn't like fight back with me on it, so I don't, I still pray for that lady, I don't know her name, but God, wherever that, you know, lady, that Muslim lady is, I pray that you would, like, like, speak into her heart, and draw her to yourself, but what I, the metaphor I used was, was water, so I, I have here in my glass, just one thing, what's the one thing I have in my glass? Right, vodka, but you, for your sake, it's water, but I'm sorry, that's so inappropriate, Am I allowed to make jokes like that at church? I have no idea. I have one thing, I have water, but I also have water and I have what floating in it? So do I have one thing in here or do I have two things in here? The answer to the question is yes. Right? I have one thing, but I have two things. The water is with the ice and the water is the ice. Are you with me? And if you could see this in the right light and it was just warm enough, you'd be able to see vapor as this is evaporating. Are you with me? So this is actually three things. This is solid, liquid, and and vapor and gas, solid, liquid, and gas. So is it three things or is it one thing? Yes. If Jesus is the ice cube, he can say, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. I'm water. He's water. I'm solid. You can touch me. You can see me. You can interact with me. He is spirit. The scripture says God is spirit. And those who worship him must worship him in spirit and in truth. Then the Holy Spirit would be like the vapor. The You get it? Huh? See what I did there. So is Jesus with God or is Jesus God? Yes. Is Jesus the son of God or is he God. Right? Like that's, is that helpful? Okay. <laughs> Sermon done. <laughs> no, oh no, we got 55 more minutes to go. <laughs> 55 more minutes to go. So this, this week we're looking at the, tri, the, for the, for this week and the next two weeks, we're looking at the triune nature of God, but what we're going to be doing is, while we, know, while we believe in one water God, <laughs> you guys are like, we're like Avatar, that's our religion. Um, waterbender. sorry, that's that, squirrels. Um, we believe in a one water God who exists as solid liquid and gas. We believe in one God who exists as Father, Son and spirit. Does that make sense? So today we're going to be talking about the Father. We're talking about liquid. That's what we're talking about. Is, is he God? Yes, He's 100 percent fully God. Liquid God right here at the Father. And, and the Apostle Paul kind of breaks down different attributes of the solid liquid gas nature of God in 2 Corinthians chapter 13, and that's where we're starting our sermon after an 18-minute introduction. <laughs> no, that we're, we're already over halfway through, but um, 2 Corinthians chapter 13, 14 says this. May the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, that's what we're talking about next week, the grace of Jesus, the love of God, that's what we're talking about today, and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all. So this is how the Apostle Paul kind of separated the one God, water, into the three different states of of God and gave an aspect that was uniquely prominent as it relates to us and their their nature. Are you with me? So the, the part about God that is the Father that... As he relates to us, the most prominent attribute God wants you to know about is his love. That's it. That's what God wants you to know. If there's there one thing you knew about him, it's that he's His love. And, and that's what Romans 8, 38 says. I am convinced that nothing can ever separate us from God's love. And I don't know that that's the God that we were taught when we were a kid. Because I was taught that there's a lot of things that, would make, that I could do that would make God not love me anymore. Maybe, maybe you were taught that. Maybe some of you, honestly, um, your relationship with God is complicated right now because of the guilt or shame that you carry for things that you've done that make you feel like God is over you. Maybe. And that's how your inaccurate understanding of the character and nature of God would negatively impact your ability to have a meaningful and healthy relationship with God. I'm convinced that nothing can ever separate us from God's love, neither death nor life nor angels nor demons, neither our fears for today nor our worries about tomorrow, not even the powers of hell can separate us from God's love. No power in the sky above or the earth below. Indeed, nothing in all of creation will ever be able to separate us from the love of God that is revealed to us in Christ Jesus. Is there anything in existence, anything you've ever done or anything about you that separates you from being the object of God's love, yes or no? Does anything separate you from God's love? Is there anything you've ever done that has made God stop loving you? Has God ever hated you? Ever? Has he ever hated you? No. God wants you to know that the number one, the number one thing that I have in my heart for you, number one, is love. So that brings me to the first of three things. If we're going to understand, if God is going to be known, By us, if we're going to be still and know God as He is, we're going to know God the Father as three different things. The first thing we're going to know God as is love. God is love. It is the motivation for His creation. It's the reason why parents in a healthy relationship will have kids sometimes is that they say, we have love in our heart to give, and we want there to be somebody in existence to receive that love. So they have kids. It's the reason why God created mankind. He had love to give outside of himself, and he wanted something to exist that was created in his image that would even appreciate it and understand it to some degree, respond to it possibly even, and so he created us. It's the reason why God made uh, the, the tree of the knowledge of good and the evil. Knowing that Adam and Eve would eventually eat from the wrong tree and rebel against God's authority over their life. And that rebellion against the creator of life would create death. The rebellion against the source of all that is holy would create all that is evil. But the reason why God did that was so that mankind would be capable of choosing to love him in response. If I forced Billie Jane to be in a relationship with me, would that be because I loved her or I loved me most? Me. Me. Like the evidence of my love for her is that I gave her the option. I didn't force her into And the proof that she loves me is that she has other options, but she chose me. So every time Adam and Eve walked by the tree of the knowledge of good, and by the way, was, you've, you've seen that, even if you're not religious, if you've seen the Renaissance paintings of Adam and Eve, there's a snake with an, uh, uh, excuse me, an apple uh, with a snake in the trees. And you can all read Actually, if you just read the first three chapters of the Bible, you'd get that whole painting. But every time they walked by the tree they weren't supposed to eat, they were making a conscious choice to choose God over everything else. Like it was that choice that made love possible. So there's that conundrum that either God is all-powerful and not good, or God is good but not all-powerful. Otherwise, why would evil exist? And it's a false dichotomy. Because I would say that evil exists because God... Is love. He gave us out of love the choice to not love him back, knowing that that choice would ultimately bring all of this evil into the world that we've created. So then God did something else out of love, and that's He said in, in plan uh, a, res- a rescue mission. That's why He called Adam, uh, excuse me, Abraham out of Ur of the Chaldees in Genesis chapter ten or is it twelve? It was out of love, and He said through you all the nations of the world will be blessed. He did that out of love. And then he sent prophets to his descendants to get them to turn back from sin. And he did that out of love. And he even rescued people that were not descendants of Abraham, like the city of Nineveh, which was the capital city of Assyria, that would eventually cause all this destruction and be the end of Israel as a nation. God rescued Nineveh out of love. God brought the Jews back out of love. God sent them the Messiah out of love. And then the Messiah came not just to rescue Jews, but all of mankind out of love. And then everybody who repents of their sin and turns back to God, God puts in them His Holy Spirit, His vapor, And he does that out of love. And he starts working in our hearts to transform us into the image of Jesus out of love. He convicts us of sin because he knows what's good for us and what's bad for us. And he does that out of love. And he hates evil and sin. And someday he will judge the world. And he will do that out of love. Everything about God is motivated for love. So I don't know why it is that we think of God as some remote, distant, and detached ruler who's waiting to smack everybody on the head with a baseball bat because David didn't see God that way. And David had an affair with his best friend's wife, got her pregnant, and then got that guy killed to cover up his adultery. So if anybody deserved to be smacked in the head with a baseball bat, by God, it's David. But David didn't see that God that, that way either. Here's how David describes God in Psalm 139. I'm going to read 10 verses. Here's what he says. "O Lord, you have examined my heart, and you know everything about me. That's intimidating, isn't it? Now, there's specific revelation. There's, there's general revelation. Specific revelation is this is just for David. This is just for Israel. This isn't for you. This isn't for the church. This is like, but, and then there's general revelation. This is, for, this is for everybody. This is general revelation. This is for everybody. So he says, Oh Lord, you have examined my heart and you know everything about me. You know what this means? God's examined my heart, and he knows everything about Sean. See, there's things about Sean that I don't even tell Billy Jane. Right? There's thoughts that go through my head on a random day. It is not good for my marriage to tell her every thought I thought of today. I'm not an idiot. <laughs> but God, like my heart, my heart, heart? Like, there's, hopefully, like, I can't think of anything in my life I haven't told my wife. Maybe there's something you go, well, there's something I haven't told my wife, because you're a smart man too, right? Like, there's things, like, that go through our head that we've thought about in our heart that if everybody knew everything, if everybody, if the person that you love the most could examine everything in your heart, would they still be the person who's closest to you in your life? Like, I don't know. Like, God knows. He's examined everything about me. He knows my heart, knows everything about me. He knows when I sit down, when I stand up. You know my thoughts even when I'm far away. You see me when I travel, when I rest at home. You know everything I do. You know what I'm going to say even before I say it, Lord. You go before me and you follow me. You place your hand. And that's what's crazy. God, you knew what I was going to do before I did it. You knew what I was going to say before I said it. You knew the thoughts that were in my head that led to what I did or what I said. God, you know everything in my past, everything in my present. You know everything in my future that I haven't done yet. And God, knowing all of this about you, here's what David said. And still knowing all of this about you, what does God do? Here's what He says: You place your hand of blessing on my head. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me, God. It's too great for me to understand. I get it's just too much that you would know every. I've ever done, everything I've ever said, everything I've ever thought, and you still keep your hand on my head to bless me? I don't understand that. Like, I'm incredibly thankful for it, but I wouldn't do that for anybody else. So I have a hard time wrapping my head around the idea that God the Father does that with me. See, that's not the God I grew up with. That God, that even when I'm really, 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 really bad, still really, 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 really loves me. Because I could do enough bad to the people who love me to make them stop loving me. I could. So when I do bad, it's hard to wrap my head around the idea that I can never get to that place with God. And that's why David said, after having murdered his best friend, one of his 30 best friends, to cover up getting his wife pregnant, and the fact that God would still love him, he says, I don't understand this. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me. I can never escape from your spirit. I can never get away from your... Your presence, if I go to heaven, you're there. If I go down to the grave, you're there. If I ride the wings of the morning, if I dwell by the farthest oceans, even there, your hand will guide me and your strength will support me. How precious are your thoughts about me, oh God. Your precious thoughts cannot be numbered. I cannot even count the number of the precious thoughts you've had about me. They outnumber the grains of sands. And when I wake up every day, you still love me. You're still there. That's who God actually is. The main idea behind this is this, that God knows every little thing about you, the good and the bad, and still loves you deeply. And some of you came just to hear that. He still loves you deeply. That brings me to the second thing, though, of three, and that's that God is sovereign. Romans chapter 8, verse 28 says this, and we know that God causes everything to work together for the good of those who love God and are called according to his purpose. And I want to I point this out, that God doesn't work everything out for the good of everybody. He doesn't do that. That's not what that verse says. Read it again. And we know that God causes everything to work out. It doesn't mean that he caused everything. He caused everything to work, work out. So there are things that Satan will bring into your life to ruin you that if you love God and are called according to his purpose, God will step in, own that thing, and work it for your good. So go back to it, and we know that God causes everything to work together for the good of those who love God and are called according to his purposes for them. That's who God works everything out for the good of, those who love him and are called according to his purpose, his kids, those who see him as father. For God knew his people in advance. And those that God knew would become his kids, he chose them to become like his son, so that his son would be the firstborn among many brothers and sisters. And having chosen them, he called them to come to him. And having called them, he gave them the right right standing with himself. And having given them right standing with himself, he gave them his glory. So here's what you need to know from this. Number one, nothing catches God off guard. And even the evil things that are done in this world, God then makes them submit to his will and his plan. That's what God does. I've shared this before in detail, and I'm not going to today, but my mom had a really horrible childhood. She had an abusive father and mother. They were abusive in different ways. You can guess about my mom's childhood, but there were four years of her life that was a living hell. And God didn't cause that. But in the early 20s, my mom was able to get healing from that in her relationship with God. And my mom will tell you today, she lives on the Cape, but my mom would tell you today that while she'd never want to live through that again, and she doesn't wish that on anybody, she wouldn't change that part about her story because what Satan brought into her life to ruin her with, God deconstructed and then built a platform on which she now stands and points other people to Jesus. That's what God does with evil. God didn't cause my grandfather to hurt her. That was sin. The Bible says God does not sin, neither does he tempt any man with sin. Sin never finds its source in God. But its redemption only finds its source in God. You remember the story of Joseph? Joseph with his favored son. His dad had four wives. That was a dysfunctional family. I just want to point that out there. By the way, the Bible never affirms that either as a noble thing uh, because the Bible actually teaches one and one. So, But he had, he had four, as you do. And then uh, the... The second wife was actually his favorite wife, but she couldn't have any kids until his other three wives had 10 kids. And then finally, his favorite wife had her first kid. Told you, it's a complicated, dysfunctional family. And then that son never had to work a day in his life, but the older 10 brothers did. And he would send the younger brother to go check on the older brothers, which made him really popular with his older brothers. One day, they were far country. The dad sent the, the favorite son to go check on him. And they said, wouldn't it be great if we killed him? And they're like, yeah, that would be awesome. And then the second of the oldest brother, I don't know where he's at, but he's somewhere else. Bible doesn't say, maybe, went to the restroom, for all we know. But the other nine, when Joseph, are there, when Joseph gets there, uh, then they beat him up, and they throw him in a bottom well, and, and they're deciding how they're going to kill him. Or maybe they're deciding which one of them is going to have to do the dirty deed, because it's going to be on their conscience forever. Then the second of the oldest brother comes back and goes, what's Joseph, what, what the heck? He's like, well, we said we were going to kill him. Yeah, I thought we were joking. Like, what the heck, Right? Like, crap, well, you, we need to let him go. Well, you can't let him go. We just beat him up. Now he's going to go tell Dad. It's like, we got to do something with him. So he said, oh, I know what we'll do. This will be better. Let's sell him into slavery because that's so much better than a, a right, death. So he gets sold into slavery. God wasn't behind their choice to betray their brother. They tell the dad that he's been killed by an animal. And there's no video cameras. They had not been invented yet, right? So there's no proof. And all of them had the same story, so the dad believed it. He gets sold into slavery Uh, to a guy whose wife takes a shine to him. And when she makes her advances and he spurns her advances, she's shamed that her slave would reject her, so she accuses him of attempted rape. And he's convicted of rape. God didn't cause her to lie about him, and God didn't cause the judge to convict him of of rape. He's in prison. We don't know how long he's forgotten about. And God's not the reason he was forgotten about. He has the ability to interpret dreams. You can read the story. It's in Genesis chapter 37 or chapter 50. So it's 13. To me, it's 13 of the fastest moving chapters in the entire Bible. It's a great story. Joseph was one of my favorite stories in the whole Bible, his life. Um, But it gets to the end. He ends up becoming the prime minister of all of Egypt, second in command of the most powerful planet in the world at the time. And if you saw DreamWorks, the Prince of Egypt, you know exactly what I'm talking about. It's a great cartoon, and it's, it's pretty accurate. Uh, sticks to the story at least, um, but then he invites his brothers to come live in Egypt. 400 years later, they've 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 ended up slaves. You know the story, um, whether you're religious or not, you're probably fam- somewhat familiar with the story. Um, but when they they all come, the 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 older brothers, they're like, oh my word, you know. And then the, Joseph hugs them. He says, no, uh, you know, I I I believe that I've been sent ahead. I, you know, I love you guys. I completely forgive you. But then Dad dies, so now the brothers are terrified because they think. Joseph has just been waiting for dad to die so that he could take his revenge. And Joseph calls his brothers when he, together to meet with him, and they're all convinced this is, he's going to chop our heads off. This is going to be horrible. And this is what Joseph says in the last chapter of Genesis, Genesis chapter 50, verse 20. Here's what he says. You intended to harm me, but God intended it all for good. He brought me to this position so I could save the lives of many people. Here's what you need to know from this passage of Scripture. Is that while God is not the source of everything evil in the world, God's the one who owns it and makes it his. That's what he does. Satan will bring things like like Satan led his brothers to destroy him. But God said, nope, I'm going to use this for something good. He's accused of rape and thrown in prison. God goes, you know what? Because I knew everything that was ever going to happen. I know every counter move in response to every move you make. And knowing every move you're ever going to make ahead of time. God makes the counter move plan ahead of time so that when you make that choice to do that, he's got the counter move so that he can work all things out for his glory. How many you guys saw the end game, uh, the Avengers end game? Did anybody see the end of that? Okay, like when Thanos puts like on the, 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 he's got the five mood rings. I know they're not mood rings, but you know what I'm talking about. On his glove and he's going to snap and destroy the whole world. Doctor Strange is sitting over there on the side and he, like, run, he can see the future. So he runs through all the different scenarios and he's sitting there twitching. Like this, and he runs through every scenario, all the millions and millions and trillions of different of options of the way that this could work out. And he said there's only one way in which this works out for good, but it, it's going to call for his death, and then he dies. How about that for a Messiah complex to the story, right? Like there's only one scenario in which it all works out, but God the Son has to die. Right, like that's, 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 that's the idea behind this. God knows every choice mankind will ever make and knows every counteraction to bring about his kingdom, his glory. And if you are called to his purposes, you're good. Other verses talk about the way that God causes nations to rise and fall, how, the, how, the places, uh, how he places people in positions as rulers, kings, and presidents. So why is it during the most unsettling year in recent years this past year when the church had its greatest moment to shine, we lost our flipping minds like everybody else? Why is that? Like I, I don't care what you, you think about Trump, but Trump being president made some of you guys on the left who are followers of Jesus lose your flipping minds. As though there is no God who didn't know that Trump was going to be president. Now, I'm not saying he got Trump elected president, but God knew it was going to happen, and he made sure that Trump being president works out for his good, his kingdom purposes, and his plans in the world. And those of you on the right lost your flipping minds when Biden became president. You lost your flipping minds. As though there is no God who does not love you and is not sovereign. And got off his throne and lost control of the world. This was, this last year, God knew George Floyd was going to die. He knew about Arbery was going to die. He knew. He knew about the protests. And he knew about the people who would hijack him for riots. And he knew the way that this would divide us even more than we've ever divided. And you went right along with it. I don't understand this. Is God good? Yes or no? Does God love you? Yes or no? Is God sovereign? Yes or no? Then freaking act like it. What in the world? How are we the ones who panic the most? Us, the ones who know that God is sovereign over the world. He exalts kings and princes. can, Can I say presidents? Right? And he debases them and he raises governments and he makes them fall. God knew you were going to get cancer. Why in the world are you freaking out? God knew you were going to lose your job. Like what is there about you that, got, that caught God off guard? And what has ever happened to you that is proof to you that God has stopped loving you? There's no amount of evil in the world that can be done by you or to you that's going to ruin God's plans for everything. And if you will live according to his purposes, and if you will love God, it will all work out for your good too. This is our moment to shine, dang it. Freaking shine. There's two things so far one, God is love, and two, God is sovereign. That's why we pray different prayers than any other religion is allowed to pray. I am done with tiny, pitiful, pathetic prayers. I've got a God who owns everything, who has the entire world in his hands, and I'm afraid to ask him big things in case he says no and what that might do to my faith, bro. I'm freaking done with that. Whether I get it or not, I'm okay because I trust God. He loves me and he's sovereign. I trust him, I'm gonna pray bigger prayers. That's it. I think you need to pray bigger prayers. You need to pray for God to rescue your marriage. You've stopped praying for that. Bro, you have not because you asked not. So I'm gonna ask for freaking everything. And then he can give me what's according to his plan and what it and, and not give me what is it. And, and if I my prayers answered, I'm gonna thank God. And if it listen, this past week I went, I started doing my prayer walks again. I'm on my second prayer walk. And I said, God, I just need to know you're listening to me. And five steps, five steps after I said that was another rubber band on the sidewalk. I haven't seen a rubber band on the sidewalk in years. And if you've been a part of Grace Church for a long time, you know the significance of that to me. There's a period in my life where I didn't feel like God was listening to me at all. And all I needed was a rubber band to wrap around my son's glove so I could curl it in time for baseball. And I bought the cream for it and everything, couldn't find it. And there used to be rubber bands all over the sidewalks. And I went and I'm talking to God about why I don't believe in them anymore. And why I'm struggling in my faith. I get all the way back to my house. There was not a single rubber band. And I'm starting on a second walk because I'm not done complaining to God. And I go, see, I know you don't love me because I can't even find a freaking band, rubber band. And right after I said that, on a sidewalk I'd already been on looking for rubber bands, I found a rubber band. So I picked it up. No, hang on, it gets better. (laughs) And I say to God, I'm walking, I said, well, I needed two. No lie! The very next house had the second rubber band. I finished the walk. Not any other rubber bands anywhere else. No rubber bands anywhere else. Now the miracle to me isn't the rubber band. The miracle is that I found the rubber band right after I had prayed those two prayers. So this past Wednesday, I'm on a prayer walk and I said, God, I just need to know you're listening. Five steps later, I found another freaking rubber band. And I don't even need rubber bands anymore because all my kids are old. But God knew what the rubber band on the sidewalk was to Sean, and God said, I am here. I asked God last Friday, dear God, I don't know about all the anointing stuff. And I had a friend of mine, we're going to talk about this, we're going to talk about the Holy Spirit with a balloon. A balloon is 100% full of air, but it's got more room for more air. So on Friday night, I'm like, dear God, I want more freaking air in my balloon. I want all of you. I don't want parts of you. I want you in every part of my life. Uh, God, I want you to anoint me with your presence, dear God. The next morning, Saturday morning, I'm praying bigger prayers, that's all I'm saying. I woke up Saturday morning, a friend of mine I haven't talked to in four years, randomly said, Sean popped up in my thing, everybody pray for my, my friend Sean Sears, that he would receive an anointing from God to keep doing the ministry that God's called him to. He used the same words as my prayer from the night before. Now that's not the miracle to me. The miracle to me is that it was the day after I asked God, like I'm just saying, You want your kids to come back, but you've stopped praying. You want a healthier relationship with your family, but you've stopped praying. You've gone to a pathetic and puny, tiny, pitiful place in your relationship with God. God's bigger than this. Dang it. Act like it. Pray like it. He wants to be known by you, but you have to make room for him. He will not shout over your candy crush. Somebody tweet that. (laughs) Now my introduction's over. Just kidding. It's not. Last thing, God is Father. Jesus gave us the template for prayer. And he could have said, here's how you pray. Dear God, most holy judge of all of mankind. He could have picked some intimidating way for us to capture the idea of the relationship we're to have with God But here's how Jesus said we talk to God. He said when you talk to God, you are to talk to him as your what? Father. No other religion in the world has ever presented God the way that he actually is to us. Tender. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come Your will be done. Why do we pray that first? Because we know that he is love and that he is sovereign. And the best thing for me is what you want from me. So your kingdom come on earth. That's what I was praying yesterday. God, I want your will to be done in my marriage. I want your will to be done in my my relationship with Ryan, with Garrett, with Lauren, with Garrett and Lauren's spouses. I want your will to be done in my relationships at work here at the church, I want, your relation, I want your will to be done in the way that I lead. I want your will to be done in the way that I talk to people. I want your will to be done. I mean, that's the way they're supposed to talk to them. But we're not talking to them in a position of fear. We're talking to him in a position of familiarity. You guys know JFK, right? John F. Kennedy, Jr., right? No, not Jr., but JFK, right? Have you guys have ever seen this picture? The most powerful man in the world at the time. Communists all over the planet live in fear of him, but John Jr. plays under his desk. Because while that man was sitting on top of the most powerful nation in the entire earth, to John Jr., he's just what? Daddy. The truth is, God is the judge of all mankind, but he would rather be the father of all mankind. He is your judge, but he would rather be your father. That's what he wants. We've only been given the image of God as a distant, vengeful, and all-powerful judge, and he is. But he'd rather be your father. God is willing to be your father if you would be willing to repent. Because you have had you have free will. And you and I, of our own free will, have broken probably all of the commandments. I have. I'm sure you have broken most of them. If you've broken one of them, the book of Hebrews says, then you're guilty of breaking all of them because the God who wrote the one you broke wrote the other ones that you didn't break. So you've still transgressed against the same person the same way. You're still guilty before God. That's what Hebrews says. And each one of us of our own free will have turned our back away. You have. So have I. We've turned our back on the source of all that is good, on the source of all that is holy, on the source of life. And we brought into our own life all that is bad, all that is evil. and all that We've experienced the death of many good things in our lives because of our choice to turn away from God. And God, out of love, isn't going to force you to turn back. That's a choice you get to make in response to what he's doing in your heart right now. You can repent of your tendency to live without regard to his will for your life. And all that means is you come to a place where you mourn your sin, your disobedience towards him, your selfishness towards your fellow man, and you turn back around to God. Say, God, I want you. Jesus Thank you for dying on the cross for my sins, raising from the dead with new life. I want new life. I am your dude. I'm all in. I'm your girl. I'm all in. You've got me for the rest of my life. On that day, the Bible says you receive the adoption as sons and daughters of God. He now becomes your father. You get to pray different prayers. He already loves you and he adores you. He knows everything about you and he wants to begin working in your life as any good father would. So pray to him. Pray for his will to be done because you trust that his will is what demonstrates the most love for you, for others, and will accomplish the most good in the world. God hasn't lost track of the world or are you in it. He's got this, so start praying like it. And the last thing I want you to know is this. The more accurate your knowledge of God is as Father, the more healthy, meaningful, and intimate your relationship with him will become. So what you, should you do in response to a teaching like this from the Bible? Peter gives us the answer in 1 Peter 5, verse 6 and 7. Here's what he says. So here's what you ought to do. You know what you ought to do? Humble yourself under the mighty power of God. Recognize that the world does not revolve around you. It's his. But the cool thing is, he could be your father. Humble yourself under the mighty power of God, and at the right time, he'll lift you up in honor. And because he is your father, give all your worries and cares to God because he genuinely cares for you. And I'm going to give you the chance to pray to him right now. So if you would bow your head with me. First Peter, excuse me. Humble yourself under the mighty power of God. That's what first Peter says. So this is your prayer. Dear God, I am yours. Everything, God, belongs to you. And I submit to your authority in my life right now. God, take away all the sin. Forgive me for all of it. I, I let go of those things that have kept me separated from you. And I am your man. I am your girl. I am all in, dear God. Do with me whatever you want. Do through me whatever you planned. I'm yours. Make that your prayer. What sin do you want to confess to God? Pray that silently. What sin do you need to confess to God? God, as your kid, there's parts of my life that don't reflect A healthy relationship with you, and here's what it is, and I'm done with it. What big dream for God's kingdom, God's glory, and your good should you start asking for? Pray a bigger prayer. God, calm my heart. God, if there's somebody in here who's got some type of sickness that is not according to your plan for their life, in the name of Jesus, dear God, heal them. For the marriages in this church, God, that are on the edge of falling apart, dear God, bring life back to those dead relationships. For the parents who don't get along with their kids, for the kids who don't get along with their parents, for the siblings that don't get along, for the roommates that are fighting, dear God, let your will be done. Humble us, dear God. Help us to recognize that you are love, you are sovereign. We can walk confidently in a broken, screwed up, chaotic world. Because you're you're ours and we're yours. That's our prayer. We ask this in Jesus' name and we all stay together.